Bible study hour. <laughs> and I had to modify the name because it's officially fall now. But um, hey, we will get through this and do what we need to do. Um, this lesson is lesson number three in the study um, under the category of God, Do You Care? This is a game-changing lesson. Uh, I'm just going to make a prediction right now that I hope that you will be able to see through all of this um, that it's really, really important in your development with the Lord Jesus Christ that you have the right view of who God really is. That is what this is all about, and that is going to be helpful for you when it comes to discipling others as well, too, in that very subject. You really have to have a very good, solid, healthy view of God. You have to understand who God is you, uh, as much as we are able to. I mean, he will reveal things to you, but um, we really aren't going to know everything, but we're going to be given more information to help us to be able to navigate um, this whole thing that we go through about separating feelings from fact looking at who God truly is and what he does and why he does it and how he does it. And that's going to be a very, very healthy view. It's going to be a healthy approach to what we do. So with that in mind, as I prepare my iPad to get ready to do some reading, we will go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to come before you and sit quietly and hear you speak to us. We thank you for this time that we take each week to look to you, look to see where you, Lord, are working in our lives, how you're working in our lives, how you're helping us to continue to grow and develop. And Lord, we hardly know anything. And yet, Lord, we want you to teach us as much as possible to help us to be able to not only learn for ourselves, but to be able to disciple others and help those individuals who have an unhealthy relationship with you to have a healthy one. That is our desire. That is our goal. We thank you for all these things, and we ask them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And that's what it's all about. It's all about having a healthy relationship. Um, as you start looking at people when they are going through difficulty, God is working in those people's lives. But we just have to make sure that when it comes to how we counsel, if we're asked to say something, how we respond to help them to continue with that healthy growth and relationship. There is no, there's no way that we can, like I said, know everything, but we can learn a lot from our experiences through the Lord. Okay, so we have now lesson three about compassionate inactivity. The compassionate inactivity is speaking specifically about God and how he either will act or will not act when it comes to difficulty. And for those of you who are new to this particular class, we are using content from the uh, Bible study Missing Pieces by Jennifer Rothschild. And what the whole theme of this is, is that I need to switch mics. Is it going to die on me? The mic is going... All right, well...
take that part off, but I will work with it. Testing one, two. All right. Thank you, uh, the professor back there, making sure that I had my mic was going to die on me, and then all of a sudden I was going to be talking, and you would just see my mouth moving, and then you wouldn't, you wouldn't see anything happening. So, Like my voice does carry very well, and I get it. All right, so we're going to look now about how we're seeing loving, God's loving presence in the midst of adversity. That's what this class is about. All of us have been through adversity. All of us have had issues where we've had to deal with adversity, and usually the big question is, how is God responding in the midst of this adversity? Well, we already know what God tells us. Now, I'm going to read you this first section here. The JR portion is the portion that comes from Jennifer Rothschild, and the MG portion comes from me. But uh, we'll get to the, let's do the JR portion first here at the top of the handout on page one. By now, you've had time to grapple with what it means to take God at his word and trust that he cares. Now, that's not a light statement to make. We need to understand that it is important for us to take God at his word and trust that he does care. He does care about you. For these previous classes, we've been talking about how he gives the perception, just like the disciples on the lake, um, on the Sea of Galilee, are complaining about how they were not being cared for because they thought they were going to die in the midst of a storm. Let's continue. Even if you're willing to believe he does care, you may still be left with the problem of his inactivity when you consider the suffering that doesn't seem to make sense. Questions still remain. Does he avoid stepping in and cleaning things up because he can't? Did he set the world in motion but then abdicate his power to someone else so he is bound to inaction? Maybe he does care, but he doesn't have the ability to intervene. Hmm. Now, Here's where I jump in right after that to make sure that you understand that these questions, even though we understand who God is, will come up because of our flesh. Because we think that for whatever reason, God is not able or capable of taking action. And I say that also for the purposes of your discipling others to understand that you don't know how they see God. And it may come across in this very way with these very types of questions. So I jump in and say a brief reminder, these questions about God's ability to respond or his choice to not respond are not about a lack of power or ability. His word clearly reflects that he is more than able or capable. Those that you may counsel over this may very well lack an understanding of God's power and his sovereign will. Understand something. Many of us, a lot of us, perhaps all of us, see God differently. Even if the words are still the same for all of us, we still may have a completely different view of who God really is. And this is not about taking surveys to find out how you see God, because those are questions that really can't be answered on a piece of paper. Sometimes it's just based upon your thought process. And understand something, when times are good, we don't have questions like this. Amen? When times are good, we don't have questions like this. But when times are bad, we, the, you start seeing the walls closing in on you. You start seeing things happening to you. You really do question and challenge where God is in the midst of it. 
So it's important for us to take a quick look in this big box here on the front of the page of the handout here, God's moral will and sovereign will. We need to take a look at this and understand exactly what these things are. So there are some definitive statements that are going to be made in this study about God's will and how he operates based upon the best information we have, which is his word and his action. That's the best information we have. We can't understand why his will is what it is, but we can go by evidence, being in his word and being in his presence and seeing him act. So John Piper wrote an article, it was a very brief article, which you can see here, and you can find this on the web on your own as well. But I duplicated the whole thing. He uh, wrote, I would like to help you distinguish between God's moral will and his sovereign will. This will help you make sense of the apparent contradiction between these two statements because there is a bit of a contradiction if you look at it as face value. We need to understand his will, which will help us to understand the rest of this study. Number one, God does all things according to his will, which is sovereign will. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of of the earth, and none can stay his hand. Daniel 4.35 Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 115.3 So there's evidence as well that shows that God does all things according to his sovereign will. Okay, that's number one. Number two, some things happen that are not God's will. Moral will. Now let's think of it logically. The first thing you think about, if you really think about that statement, what is God's will? For all people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's his will. Now, the, the most obvious thing with that is that not everyone is going to follow that way of thinking. Not, not everyone is going to comply with that. So look at the verses that follow this. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. 1 John 2.17 Implying some don't. Some don't want to follow the will of God. This is an obvious statement. Anybody you know who's a non-believer is already in that category. They're not doing according to what God's will is. So we have a huge swath of the population that follows this way of thinking. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the other, that's the verse that I was referring to, 2 Peter 3, 9. Yet some do perish. In other words, the Bible makes a distinction between God's will, understood as his purpose, that is never frustrated in any event, and God's will, understood as his moral command to act a certain way. So there's a moral will and a sovereign will. That's what this is about. One of the clearest evidences of the difference between God's sovereign will and his moral will is the fact that God morally forbids murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not kill the innocent. Exodus 23, 7. Thou shalt not kill. is one of the Ten Commandments. And yet he willed... Now, this is going to seem really controversial but it really shouldn't be and yet he willed the murder of his son yeah 
Truly in this city there were, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That's from Acts 4, verses 27 and 28. And when, I read, when you read that by itself, you don't really pay attention to the fact that it's God was God's will to allow that to happen. And of course it was, because remember what Jesus was saying over and over again while he was still alive about doing the will of his Father. What was the will of his Father? For him to die on the cross. That was his will. To be a sacrifice for all of us. One of the high and holy truths about God is that we embrace in submitting to biblical truth is that God does not sin in willing that sin be. This is crucial because the design of God in the cross hangs on it. In other words, God is not sinning when he allows this to happen. This is completely separate from the whole aspect of the flesh and the sin that we have. It's totally different. God's ways and will are pure. He has his holy purposes in ordaining all that comes to pass. And let's understand something. Jesus died on the cross for whose benefit? Your benefit. Your benefit. Yes. Take that. Be done. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. Jesus in his humanity was praying just as we in our humanity should be praying when things don't look very good. He was giving you a demonstration from that very thing about having this cup taken from me showing you you're going to suffer. You're going to struggle. You're going to scuffle. You're going to have difficulty. But ultimately what it comes down to is that you understand that whatever is happening is according to his will. His sovereign will. Yes, go ahead. You take it to him. Right. That's right. That's right. And what are you doing when you're praying? You are literally shutting out all of the noise around you and going directly to the Father. Because that's ultimately what makes us sin. Or what makes us really struggle. It's all the noise that's happening. When I, what, I, what do I mean when I say noise? Noise is not necessarily like audible stuff, but I'm talking about stress, difficulty. It may be noise. It may be folks yelling and screaming around you. People don't know how to act. People are belligerent. You know, you're in the, you're in the biggest drama family that ever existed. Okay? Prayer is supposed to shut out all of that extra noise. And you're going directly, like Lynn said, going directly to Him, Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did in John 17. He took that prayer right to the Lord. Okay. So God's ways and His will are pure. He has His holy purposes in ordaining all that comes to pass. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11 All his works are right and his ways are just. Daniel 4.37 We have to read those verses and remind ourselves that he is just. 
and all his ways are right. We don't always understand and we're not always going to understand. But we have to still come back to say it is well with my soul. Remember what we said? It is well with my soul. We said this um, a couple weeks ago about whatever is going on, no matter how crazy it seems to be or when things are going wrong, Lord, you're the one who's in control. When we are out of control, he is in control. Bask in his control of the situation. So finally, John Piper ends this by saying, let us worship and bow down. Because we're now talking about reverence of who God really is. We're being reverent. Okay, page two. What does Jeremiah 18 verses 1 through 6 suggest about God's power? Well, the way we find out that answer is to go to Jeremiah chapter 18. And let's read that together. So again, this is a study where we're looking at how we in our flesh can limit God's power. And yet, that doesn't change who God is and doesn't change how powerful he is. Amen? Even though we may have a concept of saying, well, God, you're not doing something. Well, God is, God is still God. He hasn't lost his power at all. He hasn't lost his ability. He hasn't lost anything. What we have to come to grips with is sometimes God chooses not to act. But there's a reason for that, too. And when I get to where that reason is, you'll see what I mean. So Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And we'll make sure everybody gets there. Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6. By the way, do you guys like this room set up the way it is now? We, is the, I saw the classroom type set up, this, this three-table thing, whatever it is. Is it okay? I mean, I, I'm okay with it. You know, As long as you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. How's that? Okay. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house. There I will reveal my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand, so he made it into another jar as it seemed right for him to do. The word of the Lord came to me, House of Israel, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, House of Israel. It's interesting about pondering those words that God gives. He certainly is saying that he has control. He certainly has, when he says the house of Israel, he's talking about all of Israel in his hand. And what his desires are for that house of Israel, that's what he will fulfill. And he will shape and mold this house of Israel the way he sees fit to do so. God can do what he chooses with his people. Period. Great statement. God can do what he chooses to do with his people. And guess what? He does. And he will continue to do so. He has the power and ability to create and recreate, shape and destroy. 
God shows his power as it pleased the potter. That's what it says in verse 4 if you're reading the NASB version. In other words, God shows his power in the way he chooses. And isn't it always and it and it isn't always as we choose, is it? Sometimes the way he chooses goes along doesn't go along with the way we choose. Sometimes God will say, you know, turn right and you turn right too because that's the way to go. Sometimes you'll say, he'll say, you'll be now of another curve, turn right, he says turn left. But that's not the way to go. But he knows what's best. So sometimes he will give you something where you choose, it's a different choice altogether. Yes. You're trying to teach your daughter that? I'm sorry, go ahead. Right? Right? Just go. That's true. That's right. And that's all the more reason why we, as we're evaluating our life in Jesus Christ, here's an interesting parallel to that. You notice, remember how we tell you how God will continue to give you you know, sometimes he adds gifts to you, gives you things that if you're prayerful and seeking after him and asking for prayer, he will actually do those things for you. This is all part of your development. You're not supposed to be staying the same. You're supposed to be continuing to grow and develop. And so that means different directions may take place in your life to show that. Now, just sharing with you personally about what, what is Melvin Gaines all about these days? Well, some days it's like, you know, who drove? I don't know. But other days, you know, I do have a plan that I would like to see fulfilled and I would like it to be according to God's will. So you try some things. There are some things you try to do and some things will work and some things won't. So, you know, one of the next things I'm going to do after I go through my checklist with selling my mom's house is doing some study about human resources. Because my goal is to try to get into human resources in my company before I decide to leave the company. Because I know that that will be in line with training for me when I want to become a chaplain. Because it's just human relations stuff. So we'll see. Now that's the plan. And if it's in his will, it will work out. And if it's not, then it won't. It will, I'll be back to another something else and be prayerful about what those things are. But this is the type of thing that you should always be sensitive to as you continue to grow and develop personally. And not do what somebody else is doing, please. Do what the Lord would have you to do. It's not about looking at what somebody else is doing and saying, they got it all together. No, they don't. They don't have it all together. They're in flesh just like you. You don't know anything about them. So you do what you got to do. You know, I'm not going to follow behind what Mark, Mark does. You know, Mark's got his own thing where he is. He has to do his thing. Okay. God's power is beyond our ability to perceive or grasp. Amen? You know, we, there ain't no way in the world that we know we can put a limit on God's power. An eternal God, you can't put a limit on his power. Okay. And the daughter is 
Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Yeah, he's the one. One hundred percent correct. We we are to be prayerful for people who don't know the Lord. We are to be prayerful for them. We want to support them. We want to encourage them. We want to, you know, laugh with them, cry with them, whatever it is. Just be who you are. But God is the one who has to get that person to him. Absolutely. Don't take that burden on. Don't take on a burden that you shouldn't take on. The burden that you take on ultimately is just being a witness for Christ. That's your responsibility. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. That literally means all-powerful. Since God is powerfully beyond bounds, why doesn't he act when we ask? Why doesn't he? We know he does have the ability, but why doesn't he act? Okay, so here's a little thing that I put together. There are parts of town where you may drive through and see a sign that says, Neighborhood Watch. Those signs have a specific message for anyone who is passing through that may be casing the area or thinking about breaking into a house. The message is, we the neighbors are all watching you. Amen? That's what neighborhood watch is. We are looking out for each other. If someone is bold enough to try to break into someone's home, a neighbor can call the police and report the crime. The act of notifying police of an event is an act of power. That's what we're equating it to here. They are taking that responsibility to step up and call the authorities. That's an act of power. It declares that burglars or people up to no good will be reported and that no one should challenge the power of the residents of that neighborhood. Of course, we are always reminded by police to never intervene while crime takes place. The police are the ones that have to arrest the perpetrators. They have the authority to make these arrests and take the offenders to jail and bring them to justice. Those two words were bolded in that passage there. Power and authority. Power and authority. That's what we need to pay attention to here when it comes to how God operates. So residents of the neighborhood have the power to protect their neighborhood, but the police have the ultimate authority to enforce the law. We all understand that. It's a very basic premise, a very basic principle, but the police had to be the one to enforce the law. They had the authority to do so. Power without authority isn't complete. Now, that's just like when you call the police, for example, and nobody shows up. Well, you might have done what you had to do to report the crime, but if nobody shows up to enforce the law, it's incomplete, isn't it? That person, whoever perpetrated the crime, is getting away with it. Well, not really. But they're getting away with it right then. You can never accomplish any justice without authority. 
very, very important statement. Authority trumps power every time. God possesses both ultimate power and ultimate authority. The choice to not exercise power, I deliberately underline not, because that's something that we have to see and understand. Sometimes God chooses not to intervene. The choice to not exercise power does not mean one is powerless. It means sometimes one who has power chooses to withhold it for a greater purpose. A greater purpose. Remember the exercise we just went through about God's sovereign will and moral will. It ties into this very principle. Sometimes there is a greater purpose in his inaction. Doesn't mean that he is less powerful. It doesn't mean he has any less authority. Healing, delivering, and calming a troubled sea all show God has power over people and creation. But a greater evidence of his power and care is his exercise of power over himself. Those are very interesting words. That's what Jennifer Rothschild wrote. He is exercising power over himself. And, and when, you, when, you get, when we get further into this study, you're going to see exactly what that means. Especially when it comes to us being sinners in a fallen world. What does Romans 9, verses 22 through 23, suggest about God's apparent suspension of power? Well, let's take a look at Romans chapter 9. I hope the wheels are turning up in your head as we go through this. And no, that statement, wheels are turning, doesn't come from a hamster being in your head on that spinning wheel that you run on. That's not a good thing. <laughs> yes. Romans 9, verses 22 and 23. And what if God, wanting to display his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory? So, what is this verse saying? You tell me what it's saying. Because what it's implying are a couple of things. Look at verse 22 again. I'll read it again for you. And what if God, wanting to display his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? What is that verse saying? Grace. He is exercising grace. He is using grace. Now, as I proceed with this, some things are coming to mind as I'm, I'm thinking about this. The way we think in the flesh sometimes is that somebody who's persecuting us, what's the first thing we want to see happen to that person? 
just get destroyed, struck by lightning, whatever. You know, whatever it is that comes to mind, okay? Well, that's the flesh thinking. Because if, the, if you were really thinking about what Christ would have you to be doing for that person, you'd be praying for them, and you'd be praying for that person to change their ways. The flesh says destroy that person. Well, we know God does not operate out of the flesh. The NLT version of Romans 9, verses 22 and 23. In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. Okay, the NLT version does a... A little bit more of an explanation there. It's about he's holding back for a reason. Yes. That's exactly right. He would not have anybody to be... He is, he is actually following according to his will. He's actually doing those very things that we're talking about. God does not contradict himself. Amen? God does not contradict his own word. What we have to grasp with sometimes is understanding his word. Understanding this whole thing about sovereign will. Understanding this whole thing about power and authority. And what that means. God endured our sinfulness with patience. Amen? this This is where this is going. God endured our sinfulness with patience. I know how I used to live before I got saved. And I know how I even live sometimes after I got saved. And all I know is that I don't deserve to be here. None of us deserve to be here. Amen? None of us deserve to be here. We are here because of God's grace. His mercy. And that's where we have to take this whole thing about God exercising his authority and power. Yes. And and even in that if someone would have just turned around, turned their heart around, they would have at least experienced God's blessing and grace in the midst of that. That's something we can't overlook. You know, we, God, there's a passage in Scripture about, you know, generational sins affecting the other generations, but God also answered that and said, you know what, if you turn your heart towards me, that's, that generational sin stuff is broken. It's broken. All he wants is someone that turns and seeks after him. Ultimately, you don't have to be condemned because your parents screwed around on you. Or stuff happened with your grandparents. You don't, you're not condemned for that. You have to understand, yes, that decree is made in, in the passage, but it doesn't contradict anything because it talks about the hearts of the individuals that follow the other people. It talks about their hearts. 
if their hearts are evil, if their hearts are not seeking the Lord, yes, it's going to affect them. But if you just change your ways, seek the Lord, turn your heart, you can break those generational curses. And people have. We've seen evidence of that. People have. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. The the really the really amazing thing that we always have to keep in mind is that God knows you sometimes better than you know yourself. He knows what you can deal with. And how he reprimands he first of all, he reprimands all of us because he loves us. Where did I read that? It's in Proverbs or Saul? I can't remember now. I know I've read it. It's, it's in there. <laughs> it's, he loves us all as children. And so we're going to be chastened like children. I want to say Hebrews, but I can't remember now. Is it Hebrews? I think it's in Hebrews. Um, so that's a good thing. But now how does he chasten us? How does he reprimand us? Well, it depends on our personalities. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. I knew I just read it. See, that's why I, I that's, thank you. 12, what is it again? Oh, here it is. I see it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through Well, let's just start reading. Start verse 5. Hebrews 12, verse 5. Look, nobody likes to get a whooping, okay? But how God chastens us is not equivalent necessarily to how parents will give their kids a whooping. It's a little different. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that you don't know what's happening, because you do know, but it's still for your benefit. It says, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly. That's verse 5. Or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. That is supposed to be encouraging to you. He loves you enough to say you're worth correcting and fixing and helping you to get it right. Because you know the exact opposite would be the case if he didn't care about you. He says, just let you go on, do what you got to do. Verse 7, endure suffering as discipline. Now this is a whole different aspect to what we just referred to here in this passage. God is allowing you to suffer for a reason. He's challenging you to endure this suffering as discipline. 
God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? In other words, allow him to discipline you because it's going to help you to live the right way. Say it again. He wants us to look like him. Yes. Go ahead, Pearl. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. Got it. Yep. God does not discipline us for the sake of showing He's controlling us. He doesn't have to. He doesn't. He's He's well aware of where you are and what's going on. And so that's where that comes in quickly. Let me make this point because our time is flying by here. God endured our sinfulness with patience. He did this to make known the riches of his mercies and forbearance. What does that mean to you? See, what we've got to understand about God, when I said he's amazingly consistent, and sometimes we you know, question, God, why aren't you doing something here? Don't you care about me? Don't, do you not care? He absolutely does. But we have to understand that God is operating with a lot of us with restraint. Be careful what you wish for. You ever hear that statement? Yes, you have. Because you need to be understanding about the fact that in the total purpose of where God is and how he's operating according to his will... There are certain things he's going to allow to happen in your life for a reason and a purpose. And he has every right, for example, 
that sentence, God endured our sinfulness with patience, means that if he wanted to, he'd just take you out. But he doesn't do that. Because that's not in his character to do that. He has every right to do it because of who he is. But he is expressing grace and mercy in your life. And sometimes this suffering that we go through is still an example of his grace and mercy. There may be discipline in there. There may not be. But we're going to continue this study next week. So hold on to your hat. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yep. The world has been promoting households that don't have fathers and kind of rewarding that and embracing it. But we know from a biblical perspective that a father is very important. And we've been saying that and we emphasize that because of what, what happens. So we need to be sensitive to that and be aware of that. And just let the word of God speak and teach and encourage as much as possible. Amen? Okay. Let's close out in prayer. We're going to pick up next week and it looks like we might get through the rest of this lesson next week. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to come before you, hear you speak to us, hear what your word has to say about us. Lord, we want to learn more about how you use your power and use your authority. We know that you are indeed all-powerful and have all authority over everything. We are like the clay and you're the potter. You have molded and shaped us and you're continuing to do so. And Lord, we want to know how we can even speak to others that we're discipling about situations as they come up. Help us to understand as much as we can about how you act and how sometimes your inaction is part of a greater plan. We thank you for that. We thank you for the understanding of this. We pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker and we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks. We'll pick up next week.